0: My wife's working in the uh, nurse uh, not the children's area. She teaches uh, the uh, first through third graders, I think. oh no, the, ones, the four, five, four- and five-year-olds. She teaches the four- and five-year-olds, and they're going through the children's catechism. And so the question they had last year, uh, week or a couple of weeks ago was, "Can I see God?" And, and she's trying to disguise, describe how God is real, uh, even though you can't see Him. And so she begins asking the kids, what are other things that are real, but you can't see them? And uh, very apropos for the last three years, one little girl raises her hand and says, germs. Right? Isn't that genius? And that reminded me of, of an old story of when I was teaching Sunday school and a little boy came in, and he said, germs and Jesus. That's all I ever hear about around here, and I ain't never seen either one. Uh makes sense. You know, the invisible things sometimes are, are more important, more core to our lives than the visible things, and it's weird. We have, to, we have to learn about them, and we have to trust that they're there. We have to trust that they're there. Last week, we talked about something very scary, and some of you parents were just so nervous. We talked about passive salvation. Now, there is nothing you can do to save yourself, there's nothing you can do to make yourself more attractive to God. There is nothing you can do to make yourself more uh, palatable to him. All you can do is wait upon him to save you. And they all were getting so nervous, and mothers were covering their children's ears. Don't listen to him, honey. You've got to be good. And we're so worried. But if we tell people that, they're not going to do anything. They won't do anything. They're just going to sit there in their sin, and they're just going to play in it, and they're going to be lazy Christians, and they're not going to serve the church. You can't tell people that salvation is passive. And the truth is that we are saved by grace alone. Period. And the truth is that, that grace never comes alone. It comes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is invisible, that Jesus compared to the wind. You can't see the wind. We in Oklahoma know wind is a real thing. Wind exists. You can't see it. You cannot control it. You can only go, hey, it's blowing that way today. Actually, it's blowing that way today, bringing cool air. Yay! Um, sorry. All you can do is tell that it's blowing. You can't control it. You can't see it. You don't know where it's going. You just know that it is going. And we know that that the God, the Holy Spirit is like that. The Holy Spirit comes to us in and with the gospel. And even though we may have heard it a million times, it never registers on us until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. And for the first time, we see the beauty of Christ. Not someone like the... You know, highway patrolman in the rearview mirror waiting for us to do something wrong, but the Christ is beautiful and, and wants to receive us and gave himself for us. The Holy Spirit convicts our hearts, he, he breaks our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, Ezekiel says. And that heart of flesh is now sorrowful for sin. And that heart of flesh beats with love for Jesus. The Holy Spirit renews our wills. He, he breaks the bondage of slavery to sin so that we're not all only always thinking about ourselves. But now we are able to embrace Jesus. Even though he's calling for all of us, even though he is demanding complete and utter obedience, we're able to to live, we want to live for him, and we are able to for the first time. And so we get up and follow him. And that is a passive salvation that comes purely by grace alone, but by grace it is never alone. The gospel is never alone. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of the Holy Spirit. Please stand as we read this beautiful text from Galatians chapter 1. How the Apostle Paul follows up on this message of salvation by grace alone. Hear the word of the Lord. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you had heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me, by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days." But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and while I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, they were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Thus far, the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. They glorified God because of me. May that be said of all of us. The gospel, the power of God unto salvation. Uh, it's a dangerous message, isn't it? I mean, you're sitting there listening last week, right? God saves us. God does all the work. Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age by the will of God the Father. It's something that he alone and he completely does, and we don't do anything. And and I heard you. We don't do anything? You don't do anything. You can't do anything. You're the problem. And you have got you all over you. Uh, go back to the illustration of germs. If you got germs all over you, you can't get the germs off. They get on your hands, right? And so the more you smear those COVID-19 germs around your face, that's not going to help. You've got to have someone else wash you. You've got to have an, an external source to wash you. And so the Holy Spirit... He comes in, and he does it all. He does the whole thing. Now, yes, parents, we teach our children the law because we don't want them to destroy themselves. And, yes, most people who grow up in the church come to Christ realizing they can't keep the law, as a matter of fact. But that that changes nothing about what we preach. Here we stand. We cannot go anywhere else. The Apostle Paul says, let us be eternally condemned if we preach any other message God saves sinners. That's it. You can do nothing. Uh, it's funny. You almost expect him to. You almost expect him to to backtrack a little bit in the second text, don't you? Yeah, I said that. But we all know that you got to keep the law, and if you don't keep the law, then you're going to get kicked out of the church. He doesn't say that. Actually, he doubles down. I don't really know what it means to double down, uh, but uh, he. He greatly increases it. Not only does he in, in assume the passivity of salvation, he goes so far as to say, salvation, as a matter of fact, it to happen before I was even born. Isn't that a weird thing for him to say? He says, you heard that I, I persecuted the church, but when he who had set me apart before I was born... And he called me by his grace before I was born. Can't get more passive than that. You can't get more passive than that. Um, it's, and you know this. Um, the most important things about you were all not decisions you made. You know that, right? I didn't decide to have this chin. I didn't decide to have this pot belly. Kind of decided to have the pot belly. I didn't decide to not have it, uh, but I looked just like my daddy and all of his brothers. I didn't decide to be born. I didn't decide to be born in America. I didn't decide to be born in Dresden, Tennessee. I didn't decide to have Mark Maddox as an older brother. I didn't decide to to have a family, a mom who uh, was converted at a time of great trial in her life and who had me in church every Sunday morning. I didn't decide any of those things. All of those things were decided for me. You know that. The most important things about you were decided for you. Uh, la- last week, last sa- Saturday, I was uh, watching college football. What a shock. And uh I don't know, the Tennessee Volunteers have been so bad for so long that I've kind of come around to them. You know, I used to just hate them, and it wasn't any fun to hate a bad team, so I'm actually glad to see them start to win so I can hate them again. And uh, so they won last week, and, uh, you know, they were playing Rocky Top. And no matter what you think about Tennessee, Rocky Top, that's a banger of a song. And uh, and this little child, I mean, could not have been more than two. On his mommy's lap, and, you know, the—, the The tradition is all the football team comes over and stands in front of the crowd, and they all sing Rocky Top together. And this little child, I mean small, started mouthing the words of Rocky Top. And I thought, you know, that's a perfect illustration. This kid is going to grow up knowing nothing but Tennessee football. There's going to come a day when he thinks he loves Tennessee football because they're the best in the country. We all know that's a lie. They, he loves Tennessee football because his parents decided for him that he would love it. If you are in Christ, it is because of decisions that were made for you. You did not make God love you. You know that. You, you've experienced that. Every one of you who are parents, what did your children do to make you start loving them? When did you start loving them? I mean, if your, your daughter looked at you and said, Daddy, you started loving me because I started making good grades, right? That'd break your heart. Daddy, you started loving me when you realized I was the fastest one in the class, right? No. No. When you were nothing but a naked infant without even little slits for eyes, you looked like a lizard, you, you did nothing but wrecked my sleep, you took all of my money, you looked at me like I were a, a lamppost, you showed no recognition. You offered absolutely nothing to me and I loved you so much I would have given you everything I had at that moment. Isn't that how you felt? Why do you think God feels about you any more cheaply? He's only going to start loving you when you do something right? Of course not. Before I was even born, He set me apart and revealed Christ to me. But, but Ricky... What are people going to do when they hear about this passive gospel? I'll tell you what they're going to do. There's a man named uh, William Holland. William Holland was a part of a club at Oxford that got together, and they prayed every night. They repented of their sins, and they prayed every night. And all the people around them made fun of them and called them the Holiness Club. And the, the problem was they were all trying to keep God's law. They were all just wondering what they were doing wrong, they felt overwhelmed by guilt, and uh, one of them started reading Martin Luther's uh, Martin Luther's prologue to his commentary on Galatians. And his name was William Holland. The man named William Holland was listening, and he said this: When Martin, when he comes to the part where Martin Luther says to him, says in the prologue, "Is there nothing I can do to save myself?" No, nothing. He said this, There came such a power upon me as I cannot well describe. In an instant, my heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw my Savior. My companions, seeing me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. When I went outside, I could scarcely feel the ground beneath my feet. When he finally heard there was nothing he could do, finally he felt peace. And you know what he did? He did what all of us would do, right? Every night from then on, he read the prologue to Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians to somebody. He would just go around to random houses, it appears, knock on the door and say, Hey, you got a second? Um, and, and one of those times, he was in the in the courtyard of a church called Aldersgate. And a man named John Wesley was there. John Wesley was one of his friends, but he was still overwhelmed, this burden of guilt. And, and as he listened to William Holland read, he said, my heart was strangely warmed. And for the first time, I believed I truly do love Jesus. That's the gospel of power. And those men, uh, one of them one was George Whitfield, another one was Charles Wesley, they began what, what we call the, the first great awakening, a, a revival so enormous that it spanned two continents and changed two cultures. That's what you do. That's what a passive gospel does. It frees us from ourselves. It frees us from our guilt. It frees us from our shame. And it is hard. It's hard to believe it when you think about it. I mean, the the message is that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the earth, was the Son of God. That's a little hard to believe. And that he rose from the dead. Those are the two things. You can't believe that because that's not believable. I mean, that's a good bedtime story people who are dead don't get up, and God is not a man who walks the earth. We all know that. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe what is unbelievable, and we stake our life on it, because God, the gospel is God's power unto salvation, because it is something invisible. And even though it is invisible, we know it is the most important truth of them all. The Holy Spirit is invisible. It's, it's something that is there, but we can't see it. It's like air, right? The most important thing in the world to us is air. You can't live without air for five minutes, hey, but you can't see it. You don't know it's there. You trust it's there every time you inhale. You don't even think about it. It's the wind. What, is, what does God do when he comes to us? How does he uh, save us? He comes to us, and he opens our eyes to the beauty of Christ I love what he says here. He says, but when it pleased God to reveal his son, if you have your Bible there, you're either going to have the word to or in. And there's going to be a superscript by it, because, the, and then they'll point you down to a footnote. That's not in the Bible, I don't think. but I mean, not in the bulletin, but whatever English translation you read. And the reason why there's the, that footnote is because we don't know. The ESV translated to, the NIV translated in. Uh, it's We don't know what it, it means, and I love it when we don't know what it means because I always, believing that God is the inspirer of the, the Word of God, the Bible, I believe He puts it there on purpose because it means both. He revealed Christ to me. Now I saw Him. I see Him. I, he, he's not my judge. He's not my judge. He died for me. I labored under the law because I was scared of him for years, but now I see that he loved me so much. He gave himself for me. He's beautiful. I see him. I see him. Do you see him? Is he beautiful to you? Not useful. Is he beautiful? Do you see his his beckoning heart? Do you see his eyes? Do you see him calling out to you? Is he beautiful to you? He revealed Christ to me? He revealed Christ in me? What does that mean? It means it's the beautiful promise, Christ in me. I'm a changed person. I'm no longer I. I have died and have been resurrected with Christ and the life that I now live. I live in Christ. I live for Christ. I am Christ in me. He is my identity. He is what you see when you look at me. He revealed Christ in me. What does that mean? It means others saw it too. My companions saw the change that had come upon me, and they began praying. The, those those in, as far away as Judea said, he who persecuted the church is now preaching the gospel he tried to stop. Other people see it. I see Jesus, and other people see Jesus in me. He's revealed Christ in me. If you are in the gospel, you're changed. The Holy Spirit changes. We can't see the wind, but we can see where the wind has been. If you were in the presence of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can see it. Your hair's moving. You can tell where it's been. You can you're you're changed. Christ has been revealed in you. It's it's invisible like the wind, and and it comes with power. I uh, I checked this with my son, who's an, uh, an electrical engineer, and I said I because I always get afraid when I come close to science, because I don't really know any. Uh, and so I texted him this week, and I said, is electricity invisible? And he said, more or less. So, go with it. Uh, <laughs> so, electricity to those of us who are normal. It's invisible, right? You know that. Uh, you touch, You don't know if... If you're trying to wire an outlet, you can't look at the, the wires sticking out there and, and tell whether they're alive or not. There was a missionary, supposedly, I don't know if his story's true. I think half of all preacher stories are made up, but this is a good one. Uh, a missionary came back from Africa with one of his converts, and he was trying to you know, raise money and show people that they were really doing work over there. And so they were going to uh, kind of come across the country, and they started in San Francisco. And uh, they walked around the town and they saw the streetcars, you know, connected to the wires above. And uh, the African said, What makes it go? And the missionary said, You know, tried his best to explain electricity. And every time he got finished with his answer, the, the, the African shook his head and goes, No, what makes it go? What makes it go? And so he took him back to the hotel room and he unscrewed a light bulb. He said, I want you to lick your finger and stick it in that socket. Well, ah! That's what makes it go. <laughs> you can't see it. You can, you, you, but you know when it's there. The, the Holy Spirit is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It comes with the Spirit. He makes it alive, and he changes us. Like, no longer are we slaves of sin. Now we can actually be what God is calling us to be. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, but it's going to happen. He gives us the power to change. He, he turns us away from our vigorous battle with guilt, and he gives us the power to receive his grace. That's, that's good news. The gospel comes with power. It's a powerful message. It changes people. It changes us. That's good news. Parents, that is good news for you. I, I know you. I know exactly what you're worried about. You think everything that your children do wrong is your fault? You think it's your fault every time they shed a tear? And most powerfully, the the thought that keeps you awake at night is you think the reason they have not received Christ is your fault. You can't save yourself, and you can't save your children. You can't. And you need to receive that grace. You need to receive that grace. The Lord is writing a story with your children in it. And I strongly believe that the overwhelming majority of our children will be saved because they're, they're raised in the church and the Lord is faithful to his promises to our children. But you can't do it and you can't undo it. I was having this conversation uh, with a good friend the other day, and and uh, he said, you know, I worry so much that I'm doing something wrong for my children. I'm going to make them hate the church. And my dad did everything wrong. He hated the church. My mom hated the church. And I'm I'm okay. <laughs> I get that. It's 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 the Lord's work. And and children, I know you haven't been listening. I want you to listen to me for a second. Children's everyone in here under 20, under thirty. If you decide to reject Christ, it is not your parents' fault. And the time for you to be blaming your parents is over. And a lot of people reject the gospel because of the churches they grew up in or the parents they had, and they use that as an excuse, but it is a bad one. Um, It's between you and Jesus. That's between you and Jesus. And you need to make that decision clear and we do live in a strange and and dangerous time. Martin Lloyd-Jones said of the Victorian era uh, in England, he said it was an era that was overshadowed by the gospel. Everybody lived in the shadow of the gospel, but very few people were penetrated by it. And um, that's true again. Now, if you don't study... Church history, and I don't expect you to, especially modern church history. You may not even know this, especially those of us who are uh, under fifty. But there was a, a massive revival in this country in the fifties and the sixties. Uh, it was a ma- it was a culture changing revival. It came through men like Billy Graham and David Wilkinson and Nikki Cruz and. Uh, Keith Green. There was the Jesus movement. There was the you know the the traditional kind of Southern Baptist movement. There was the charismatic movement uh, led by Oral Roberts and others. That, those were real revivals. They really were true. They were they were life changing, culture changing revivals. And we, depending on what part of town you're in, we literally live in the shadow of that. And it is very easy to live in the shadow of the gospel and never be penetrated by it. Is the gospel bringing peace? Is it energizing you with joy? Is it energizing you with love? If it's not doing those things, then you don't have it. You don't have it. Are you growing more and more kind? Are you growing more and more loving? Are you growing more and more gentle? Or are you becoming more and more cynical, more and more hopeless, more and more bitter? If you're not growing in Christ, then Christ isn't in you. It is the power of God unto salvation. If your response to all this is, well, I understand the gospel, but I don't really think I've been changed by it, then I just have to challenge your very first point. I don't think you understand it. Because it changes everyone who comes in it under its power. If you still think you have power over it, that's probably the problem. When you really are confronted with the gospel, you know that you have no power, and it all has power over you. And it either convicts you and brings you repentance, or it does nothing, and you you reject it. But you can't understand it. You can't believe it, and not be changed by it. If you haven't been changed by it, why not today? Just make it today. Ask the Holy Spirit. Change me. Come inside of me. Make me alive. You know, the most important invisible thing of them all is life. It's weird, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you, how many of y'all saw the movie Temple Grandin about an extremely high-functioning autistic uh, woman. And she was working with animals. She worked with cows and uh, when they killed, they slaughtered the cow to get it, get it ready to, for the meat, uh, meat, meat packing. She started asking, "Where'd it go? Where'd the cow go?" And you know, they were saying, "It's right there." And she kept going, "I know what meat is. That's meat. Where's the cow?" It's a great question. It's a scary question. Same is true of the gospel. The the life that the gospel brings. You can't see it, you certainly can't control it, but you know if you're alive or not. And if you're not, why not today? If you'll ask him, he will do it today. He promises he will be found by everyone who seeks him. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for making us alive. We thank you for restoring us and reviving us week after week. And we pray that you would make this gospel the power of salvation into our lives so that we would be changed like Paul was, so that we would go from being uh, an enemy of the gospel who tries to stamp it out to being clarions of the gospel, proclaiming it to all. We ask you to be at work in us to make us alive.